reading is Exodus 34. If you're using that blue Bible in front of you, it's page 74. So Exodus 34, let me tell you the backstory to Exodus 34. You may remember this very well, I hope you do. Um, God had spoken to His people from Mount Sinai back in chapter 20. I'm Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods beside me. You'll not make any images of me to bow down and worship me. And then after giving the Ten Commandments, Moses goes up Mount Sinai, and God is going to give him tablets and handwrite the Ten Commandments on the tablets. Well, while Moses is up there, not too many days after the giving of the Ten Commandments, God's people go, I don't know where that Moses went. And so they built a golden calf. And they said, this golden calf is Yahweh. These are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Worship the calf. Yikes. And so God says, Moses, here's the Ten Commandments. Now get back down there because the people have already left me. Moses comes down, and as he comes down, he sees a golden calf. He takes the Ten Commandments uh, that were on two stones that he carried in one hand. So it must not have been very big. Sorry, Cecil B. DeMille. But anyways, and so he throws it down on the ground, the Ten Commandments on the ground, and the, the law is literally broken. And God says, I'm going to judge these people, and they deserve it. And so Moses, starting in chapter about chapter 32, and then 33, and then 34, is interceding on their behalf. You're right, Lord, they deserve it, but please have mercy. And so chapter 34 is a continuation of Moses pleading on their behalf for what God is going to do. And so beginning at Exodus 34, 1, And Yahweh said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were in the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. So Moses cut the two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and he went up on Mount Sinai as Yahweh had commanded him and he took in his hand two tablets of stone And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. What an interesting phrase. And proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. And then the rest of chapter 34, God says, Yes, I will do that. And here are the things that I will do as well, the good things that I will do. So now if you'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter 2, I'm sorry, 3. 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 18, we're finishing up our series. We've been doing a series called Memories, Manners, and Mandates for God's Minority People. It covered all of 1 Peter and all of 2 Peter. We have come to the end. The end has come. 
And so this is it. Uh, we looked at uh, Pastor West talk about chapter 3, 1 through 7 last week, and now we're going to wrap things up. So beginning here at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It sounds like the Lord's self-revelation of Himself in Exodus 34, slow to anger, full of steadfast love. It's the same kind of thing. But He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But... The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are are done on it will be exposed. The earth and the works done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. What I've read to you from Exodus 34 and 2 Peter chapter 3 is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord, whose patience whose patience equates one day with a thousand years, because you don't wish any of your own to perish, but that all should reach repentance. Aid us this morning as we ponder your patience and as we wait for the new heavens and new earth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the sermon notes are on the back of the worship guide. You can see those there. And some of this may sound familiar because when I ended the series we did last year on hell and heaven, if you remember that far back, I know you've slept since then, that whole series I did on hell and heaven, I talked about this same passage and you will hear similar things, lots of things you've heard before, but also a few other things. In 1861, Ulysses S. Grant was given a command He had been in the Mexican War as a regular army officer, and then after some time after the Mexican War, he'd gotten out to go on business ventures, and then as the Civil War began, he volunteered to be a regimental commander of a volunteer force, and after he had marched them a little distance, he got actually commissioned as a regular army commander, as a uh, colonel at that point, I believe it was, 
So he was given a command and he marched his troops toward what was supposed to be their first engagement. And so as they, as he stated, quote, my sensations as we approached what I supposed might be a field of battle were anything but agreeable, end of quote. And so as he and his troops marched to a hill, um, past which they expected to see the opposing army's camp, he said he felt his heart, quote, getting higher and higher until it felt to me as though it was in my throat. Anticipation. But as soon as he crested the hill and he looked down on the place where the opposition was supposed to be, he saw that all the opposing troops had left in haste. And he realized at that magic moment... He realized at that moment that the opposition had been just as fearful of the battle as he had been. And he attributes that particular moment, cresting that hill, he attributes that moment as changing his whole perspective about the potential conflicts. This moment gave him a perspective that in turn fed his diligence in the face of numerous tumultuous battles. He always knew he would be afraid and anxious, but he knew they were just as afraid and anxious as he was, and so he was going to bulldoze ahead, that kind of thing. His perspective had changed, and it fueled his diligence. That's really where I was going with that illustration. Well, this morning, my friends, we will come to find that we have a perspective actually given to us that is to feed our diligence for the days ahead. And so we will spend our time in 2 Peter 3, verses 8-18, through 18, and see how this passage, and see how God's grace through His Word hands us patience and perspective, and it bolsters us with promise and persistence. So there's the two points, and you can see the Scripture references where I'm going to go in 2 Peter here. So patience and perspective. Notice first off that there's patience. There's a lot of patience happening in this passage. A lot of patience. As the scoffers and scorners, look back at verse 5 for a moment, as the scoffers and scorners deliberately overlook this fact, as the scoffers and scorners deliberately overlook this fact, notice verse 8, we are invited to do the polar opposite but do not overlook this one fact. That's part of their scoffing. They overlook this fact, but we are reminded and invited to not overlook this one fact. And so most pointedly, what Peter is beckoning us to not overlook is God's long patience. God's long patience. Look there at verse 8 and 9. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you. I find that an interesting statement. Patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's long patience is purposeful so that none of His own may be lost but come to repentance. Then again, down in verse 15, it says this, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Do not overlook this one fact, the long patience of God. 
It sounds just like God's self-characterization in Exodus 34, as he described himself there. And so as we recall, and as we do not overlook this one fact, that of God's long patience, then it is meant to, and it does, build in us long patience. It builds in us long patience. Look down at verse 12, 13, and 14. Notice three times Peter says, we are waiting for, waiting for the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Waiting for. Well, if God can be patient, Peter says, we're to be patient, and it builds in us this patience so that we are the waiting for people. And so God's long patience then, which builds in us long patience, governs us, especially regarding unbelief, heresy, and skepticism. That's the main theme of the whole letter. I told you that before. I mean, most of the ink in 2 Peter is spent in chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3 and the very end of chapter 3 is spent on unbelief, heresy, and scoffers. And it's in that context, Peter says, now I'm talking about all those people, but guess what? God's got long patience, and we can have long patience. God's long patience governs us even in the face of, in the context of, unbelief, skepticism, and heresy. What does that mean? That means we don't have to win the argument every time right now. We don't have to win the moment every time right this second. So I love the way the Apostle Paul put it to a young pastor, Timothy, in the very last letter he wrote. You have the reference in your sermon notes there. And I'm hoping you'll go home and read this and meditate on these verses for a long time. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 26. What does Paul tell Timothy? The Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome. The Lord's servant must not flame out on social media standing on a soapbox of outrage. Sorry, it was over animation, sorry. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with a ham-fisted slug. No, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. God's long patience builds in us long patience even in the face of unbelief, heresy, and skepticism. We don't have to win the argument now and probably wouldn't anyways. And so we can actually be gracious and treat others with that patience and gentleness, knowing that we're not going to ever convert them. The good Lord is. God may perhaps grant them repentance. That changes the whole dynamic. It changes it all. God's long patience then gives us also a long perspective. Well, what does that mean? Well, as we grow in God's long patience and long perspective, we know that we're not building utopia in our time. We are not out there constructing Shangri-La 
in our day by our own steam, and still, skill, and strife, and strategies, and strength. God's long patience and long perspective builds in us a relief. It relieves us from the pressure to conquer now. And so then we can engage those who hold to heretical positions and skepticism and unbelief with long, patiently, while long, patiently holding the line. Again, that's 2 Timothy 2, 22-26. But similarly, because of long's, God's long patience and long perspective, we can welcome those who have been infected. I'm not talking about the heretics here. I'm talking about those who have been infected by them. We can be... We can welcome those who have been infected with the destructive viral strain of corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We can welcome them by drawing them into our ecclesiastical infirmary of restorative care, conscious that God's long patience, God's long history, God's long-term approach is on our side because we're on God's side, and guess what? God wins, and not only does He win in the end, He is actually winning now bit by bit. God perhaps may grant them repentance. Further, dear friends, we can be long patient in our own suffering, in our own experiencing of injustice in the face of evil. Because Peter is very clear to tell us here that evil, suffering, and injustice have an expiration date. I think some Christians don't believe that. And so they have to fight to bring heaven to earth right now and bring the judgment seat of Jesus in the present. But no, my friends, Jesus will do it in His own time and the God tells us there's an expiration date to all those things. Just as there is an expiration date to unbelief, heresy, and skepticism. Look again at verse 9 and listen to how verse 10 pops in. Verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But... Expiration date, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, etc. There is an expiration date. And so we know that as we face evil, experience injustice and suffering, and also as we face unbelief and heresy and skepticism, they're not going to win. I don't know about you, but that's great news. They ain't going to win. There's an expiration date. And so until that day, what do we do? Well, we continue to work toward what is just and right. We continue to seek to alleviate suffering in our interactions and engagements with others. We do aim all the time at real equity, real equity. And all of that rightly so. And yet we can do it freed. Unlike the age in which we live, we can do it freed up to not expect that we will somehow miraculously bring about perfection. We can do it freed up not to expect that our political movements, our public protests, our civil schemes will somehow accomplish 
God's world rescue operation. No, God will accomplish it. We just get to go along for the ride, so to speak. Rather, God's long patience feeds our patience. And it feeds our perspective. And it keeps us from becoming trapped and in despair and defeat. Can I tell you how many people I've run across over, especially the last several years, who are in outright utter despair because the wrong party got elected. I'm talking about dark despair, whatever the wrong party is. I've seen people, Christians of all people, in outright depression because the right legislation didn't get voted in. Do you believe that God is alive? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe that because of that there's an expiration date? Thank you, praise the Lord. Then you are the really free ones because you're not trapped in the moment. It saves us. God's long patience and long perspective saves us from becoming ensnared and entangled in every messianic movement. What messianic movement are you talking about? Do you ever listen to presidential election seasons, y'all? Midterm elections? They're not the only things. There's lots of them out there. But it frees us up from becoming and saves us from becoming ensnared and entangled in every messianic movement that promises to rescue the world and redeem humanity. It strengthens us so that we are not imprisoned in those all-encompassing big stories that interpret everything through a very very thin and narrow grid of power and power struggles or oppressed and oppressor or whatever that's all just too simple and too miserly of an interpretation. We're not trapped in those. What does that mean? That means when you have God's long patience and long perspective that's got hold of you, when you become so heavenly minded, you finally become some really earthly good. When everybody else is looking for salvation in the next vote, you become so heavenly, who have become so heavenly minded in God's long patience and long perspective can finally become some earthly good because you're not lost in that moment. And they know where to go when all of their glass house comes shattering down. We finally become so heavenly minded, we're finally some earthly good. But further, my friends... It also settles us in promise and persistence, coming back to this passage again. Notice that there is an expected tenaciousness for those who believe God's promise of the new heavens and new earth. And this tenaciousness powers powers our persistent move, move onward and upward, what Peter calls in verse 11, lives of holiness and godliness, as we wait for and hasten the coming of the day. And this tenaciousness is given to us by the gracious gift of God. Go back to the beginning of chapter 1, verse 3. Whose divine power grants to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And this tenaciousness that is expected through these promises, this tenaciousness is nurtured by 
Yes, the tomato cage comes again. By the supplements and supports that he has given us, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so our promise-powered diligence keeps us from being enticed and keeps us from being exploited with the promises of freedom by those who are still enslaved. Our promised power diligence keeps us from following those, chapter 2, verse 10, who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. To put it simply, the hope of heaven, which is what Peter's talking about here over and over again, the hope of heaven will inevitably lead to the hot pursuit of holiness. The hope of heaven will inevitably lead us to the hot pursuit of holiness. And that's in verse 14. Look at how he puts it. Therefore, beloved, since since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. The hope of heaven inevitably leads us to a hot pursuit of holiness. Our persistence, our diligence in holiness includes, notice here in verse 14, Peace and be at peace. Isn't that interesting? Be at peace. Without spot or blemish and at peace. Now Peter is not talking just about my own existential moment of feeling at peace, though that's probably a piece of it. He's talking about together be at peace. Without spot and blemish together and at peace. How do I know that? Because all the way through 2 Peter, the heretics and the skeptics, their modus operandi is to divide and conquer. So chapter 2, verse 1, there will be, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And I told you, we talked about this in the adult class, the Greek word underneath heresies there is hierasis, and its root means schism. And you got a good dose of it today in Sunday school with Marcion. What was Marcion's track record? What did he do when he couldn't get his way and get Rome, the, the church that was in Rome, to change its ways to go along with his weirdness? What did he do? Pulled away and started his own factions, right? That's the heretic's approach to divide and conquer. In fact, it comes up again when you look down at, and here in chapter 3 and verse 16 and then verse 17. Verse 16, they're ignorant and unstable. What an interesting word. They're unstable. They don't have any stable ground underneath them. They're falling apart. They're, twist, they, they're ignorant and unstable, and they twist Paul's writings and the rest of Scripture. Oh, Paul's writings are being equated with the rest of Scripture. Beautiful. The ignorant and unstable twist Paul's writings to their own destruction as they do the rest of Scripture. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Do you hear it? 
they're unstable, you follow them, guess what? You lose your stability and you fall apart with them with all their factiousness and so forth. And so when Paul, Peter is talking here about holiness, without spot and blemish, he adds at peace. It's the same thing you see over in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, where peace is related to holiness. People who have God's long patience in mind and long perspective, who are gripped by the promise of the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells, they work at and they flourish in being stable and stabilizing. They work at striving for the purity and peace of the church. Does that sound familiar? Membership vows. We say this every time we join the church. We hear it said, you'll strive for the purity and peace of the church. Unfortunately, some people think that's an either-or game. Well, I'm going to be for the purity of the church. The rest of y'all are going to be for the peace. 2 Peter 3, verse 14, no, they go together. It's not an either-or thing. You strive for the purity, you strive for the peace, you strive for the peace, you strive for the purity. It's together. That's what Peter is saying. That's holiness. Striving for the purity and peace of the church. And all of this stabilizing stability, verse 17, is so that we grow, that we mature, that we develop in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, together. And that's verse 18. We do so now unto the day of eternity. My friends, Peter is hammering home that this is the way we become so heavenly minded we can finally be some earthly good. Let me just take one of these and just run with it for just a minute. We live in a highly divided era. I don't know what the deal is. Maybe it's in the drinking water. I don't know. People are going to blows over the strangest things. It's hostile out there. People are dividing right and left. Families. I've seen families splitting apart over politics of all things. And it's going on all around us. And it's just getting worse. It just feels like it's getting worse and worse. I, I know we're in the moment. It feels almost like an Oklahoma to- social tornado. That's what it is. It's a social tornado. That's what it is. And here's what happens. When you have God's long patience and long perspective because of His promises and powered into persistence because of His grace, then you don't have to be blown around by every social wind going on out there. So what does that mean? That means at some point, some of them We'll just be exhausted. I've seen it happen too. We'll be exhausted by what's going on and we'll say, but, but, but what's your answer? You guys aren't at each other's throats. We can't even go to a car show without people going to a fight in the street or in the parking lot. I mean, but you guys are together. And, and, and you guys even act like you love each other. Do you love each other? Yes, you do. Wow. How do you do that? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. Can I take you to Ephesians 2? Christ is our peace. He's made two ethnically opposite groups, Gentiles and Jews. He's made us of the two. He's made us into one new humankind, Canaan Anthropon, by grace. By grace, He is our peace. By grace, He has drawn us together. By grace, we belong to each other. Come on in out of the storm. Come on in out of the storm. So heavenly-minded, 
we finally can become some earthly good. So, my friends, that's the end of 2 Peter. And notice that 2 Peter ends where it began. It begins, chapter 1, 1 through 11, and it, end, and it ends with the good news. Ah, but it also reminds us that what is good news for some is what? Bad news for others. There is an expiration date. It begins where it ends. It begins with God's precious and very great promises by which you have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, and that's where it ends. And it ends where it began, by giving us the vaccination we need to become inoculated against the viral infection that is overtaking our world, immunizing us against the zombies spreading the disease. Second Peter ends where it begins. But further, you need to pull together first and second Peter very quickly. First Peter, as we said, is concerned about the pressure from out there, and second Peter is concerned about the, pre- the perversion arising in here. The pressure from out there, first Peter, the perversion arising from in here. The two de- letters fit nicely together, and both of them give us fair warning. First Peter. There are seasons and periods of time when we will suffer. In fact, we may even be spoken against as evildoers while we're doing good. So, we're not surprised because we have been apprised. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, there are seasons and periods when false teachers will be among us who will secretly bring in destructive hierases, heresies, especially divisive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Ah, but once more, we're not surprised because we have been apprised. So first and second Peter go together. Finally, dear friends, all together. God's wholesome memories, manners, and mandates for God's minority people are for our stability in a highly unstable time. Let's pray. We thank you, our Lord, that you are a very patient God. And your patience is salvation. Forgive us for not being so patient. Forgive us for the times that we have wanted to bring heaven to earth in our moment because we think we're just too stinking important, I guess. Forgive us for the times when we have not been patient with others and fought and demanded conquest in this moment while you were being patient with us, wishing that not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So Lord, help us to grow in this long patience that gives us a long perspective. But also, Lord God, we are so grateful that there is an expiration date. I think of what's going on in war-torn countries and in in places right now in Africa and in Eastern Europe and other places. I think of human trafficking. I think of sex trafficking. I think of... Uh, other horrendous crimes, Lord, and I am so grateful there is an expiration date. 
I pray, Lord, for those who are doing evil right now, that they would come to their senses, that you would grant them repentance. But if not, Lord, may they meet that expiration date. Finally, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be the stable people that you have made us to be by grace in Christ alone. That we may be like a storm shelter in a tornado season to our stormy world. May we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and dominion both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.